I got me a, a giant fucking thing of cashews because I'm all about the nuts. All, all about the nuts in your mouth? Yeah. What's up, my dudes? Episode 66 of I'm Sorry yes. With Podcast. Yes. I'm Christina. I'm Amanda. No fucking way. I know. I didn't change We're 66 this week. episodes in. You don't fucking know our names. Ah. Although you could be one of those weird people that watches us do it in, in reverse. Um, There's so many jokes you won't understand if you listen to it in reverse. See, I am one of those people when I'm like checking out a new podcast. I listen to like their newest one. If I like it, I'll go back and I'll start over again. You know See, I mean? when I'm doing that, I pick a random one like in the mid section. Huh. Huh. It's weird. Huh. <laughs> Huh, I don't agree. <laughs> What's up, dude? Oh, you know, not much. Just fucking living life. I see you got a walker now. I <laughs> <laughs> hashtag elderly chic. I'm oh, so sexy. Looking fresh with your well, walker. I could do it with okay. So I could have gotten crutches from the doctor's office, but I didn't want to pay for them. And crutches are so fucking uncomfortable. Like, I'd rather crawl around on my hands and knees than walk with crutches. And I was like, can I just use a walker? And he's like, I mean, if you want to. I was like, well, ideally, I wouldn't need one. But because I do, I'd rather use a walker. <laughs> like, we got one of those. I can just do that. <laughs> we got one of those. Um, My foot fucking hurts from walking. It's like all bruised, like it wasn't bruised, but now it's all bruised from like walking, which is normal, but I'm mm-hmm. uncomfortable. So that's my um, life. It took me 25 minutes to walk from the bedroom I'm currently in, which is my parents' room, outside. My house is not that big. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's legitimately like 10 steps worth of walking <laughs> to that front door <laughs> from that doorway of the room. <laughs> uh that's fun that's good um good stuff Nielsen good stuff (laughs) that's my life I haven't left the house no I I take that back yesterday I walked out into the backyard and sat in a chair for 20 minutes and then my my dad told me I had to go back inside because I didn't have sunscreen on and looking out for you and I didn't want to get sunburned but then all my freckles showed up on my face so now I look like I have a mustache but I like your freckles. I like my freckles too, except for in the summer when it like makes them all connect. And then I have a mustache. <laughs> a freckle. And then I have a mustache. I have a dirty Sanchez of freckles. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. How, how, how are you? All right. You're so descriptive. That's it. You're so um, descriptive. Well, Work is interesting. Uh, I'm now not going part-time for another week instead of this week being the last time I was full-time because there was just no way they were able to cut me down to part-time next week without bringing other people back, which weren't planning to come back for staff because of the COVID stuff until the 22nd. So it was just one of those things that it didn't work out for me to be able to go part-time. And even now it's looking like once I do part-time, it's not going to be... Because originally it looked like it was just going to be like really low full time, like mm-hmm. 30 hours a week or whatever. Now it looks like it's going to be close to like maybe 20, if that. 
Yeah. Um, which is less than I was expecting now. So now I'm like a little freaking out a little bit, but you can it's do been, it. yeah, it's been, it's going to be fine. I'm not that worried about it because worrying about it doesn't do anything good. It just stresses you out. So you can fi- you'll figure it out. You always do. Exactly. So, but it's good. Just a lot of changes now all of a sudden that I was not planning for but that's okay that's life that's life that's life that's what all people say I closed my eyes and when I opened them you were really close to the camera (laughs) that's life (laughs) I feel like I look you don't you remember back in the day when which was a Wednesday. We took the, that picture of you, and you were stretching out like you were <laughs> like a turtle. Yeah, and you looked like the thing from the Land Before Time. Mm-hmm. So what I felt like I just looked like when I was chewing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anywho, yeah, that's my update. Nothing too crazy exciting, but new. But new. But new. <laughs> uh. You got you got stories or no? I have one story. Oh, so just one? Just, I thought we were coming in with like six, but whatever. Not prepared if you have six stories. We're we're not gonna do that. <laughs> um I'm well prepared. <laughs> Over prepared some way, might say. <laughs> Tell me your story, Milady. Okay. So you know this guy, so feel free to jump in if there's any tidbits that I didn't find that you thought of or know of. Okay. Sounds good. I'm going to tell everybody about Joseph Roy Metheny, which is such an unfortunate last name. That makes sense, though. Um, he was a serial killer. I, felt, I thought I should dive back into serial killers. So just going to... So I'm doing it. So I'm doing it. <laughs> um, in my research, I was able to find, which is his, his full... It's like in his own words that he wrote while he was in prison, uh, his full confession. Um, they believe it's his full confession. It was like posted online, so they're not 100% sure, but it sounds absolutely terrifying. And I'm pulling a couple of tidbits from it to start just because it gave me chills to read it. I don't, I don't like it. So, all right, to start, this is part of, this is how his confession starts. So to start out, I will tell you about myself at the present moment, which is locked up. I'm 48 years old. I weigh about 450 pounds, and it's not all fat. I've been locked You're up. You're a large American. <laughs> hefty American. Uh, I've been locked up for almost eight years now, but when one has been sentenced to a couple of life without parole sentences, time doesn't matter anymore. My murder rampage started out as revenge, but ended up as a passion for the taste of blood and the overwhelming sense of power one gets from taking the life of another. So sweet. Sounds he sounds like a cool guy. <laughs> he's ter he's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like when I saw pictures of him, obviously they'll be posted on our social media. Mm-hmm. But if you aren't on our social media, fucking Google it. He's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Also, why aren't you on our social media? Get up on that, bitches. Stupid. I mean, ladies and gentlemen. Like <laughs> Get up on that, bitches. People don't like being called bitches, you know. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. 
So uh, Metheny was born March 2nd, 1955. Uh, he claimed he was severely... Okay, so there's going to be throughout this whole story a lot of me saying he claimed because in all senses, he was a big fat liar. Oh yeah, B- bit of a make him up, you know? Make Just him- mix it all up. Uh, so he claimed he was severely neglected as a child and that his father was an alcoholic who was killed in a car accident when Metheny was six and that his mother had neglected all six of her children while she worked double shifts outside the home. He said that his parents often sent him to live with other families in a foster-like arrangement. He also claimed that his mother was dead. However, she was not. Uh, when his mother was interviewed, she said that there were they were somewhat poor and she did have to work hard as a waitress, barmaid, and a food truck driver after her husband died, but she had provided her children with a normal family life and the children had never gone hungry or had been put into other family homes as Metheny had claimed. Well, clearly he never went hungry. Well, he's 450 pounds. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like you could hear him coming from a a while away when that was oh okay hold on it's like jurassic park yes the <laughs> the water, glass like, of water. we're not trying to fat shame. well he's so so we can fat yeah him. no it's more just like shaming he him he's also six two he was a fucking giant he's a like a monster a human giant i i can't even imagine. listen i don't even care if you're offended right now fuck off uh, <laughs> <laughs> This is how we get the listeners, you know? <laughs> we just were like, fuck it. I don't give a shit what you think. I'm just going to say what I want to say. <laughs> I'm just kidding. How we, that's um, how we keep them in. We reel them in. Reel them in. <laughs> okay. Look, if you're that easily offended, you probably don't want to listen to this because... You probably stopped listening to this a long time ago. It's true. Uh, <laughs> like, you're probably one of those half listens. <laughs> Like, yeah, no. <laughs> All right. So, Metheny's mother described him as an above average student who was always polite and not mean as a child. He was smart, had a good childhood. If he was neglected, it was his own fault. It was a very good home. If he was neglected, it was his own fault. Like, I'm wondering if it was like he refused to. I'm, <laughs> this is the only thing I could think of, but like he refused to eat. <laughs> Or, or like he refused to when she tried to like make him feel better, or, he'd run away, yeah, and not allow her to like, yeah, I could see that being, I guess, yeah, okay. it's just a weird way to word it, I think it's a weird way to word it. <laughs> so he joined the army when he turned eighteen in seventy three uh his mother said that he had served in Germany, but he claimed that he had served a tour in Vietnam and had become addicted to hero- heroin while in the artillery unit there. She said that he, his mother claimed that she had no recollection of him serving in Vietnam, and as they, his, the circumstances of his service were reported as unverified, okay. uh, but American involvement in Vietnam had ended by that time, so yeah, I, I don't think he was in Vietnam. I think that's another um, one of those, like, trying to up his ante in the story. Right. Um, he rarely contacted his mother after he joined the army, and she was quoted to have said he just kept drifting further and further away i think the worst thing that had ever happened to him was drugs it's a sad sad story oh so as we've already stated metheny was six two very large frame he's a very hefty american and he was over about roughly 450 pounds but they called him tiny 
That usually it is like an oxymoron name. Just a bit of an ironic nickname. <laughs> yeah. It's like this makes no sense. <laughs> uh so in the 19 we're in the 90s now. Uh oh. he spent most of his time in bars living with bands of homeless men in makeshift camps in South Baltimore and spending nearly all of his money on crack and heroin oh, and good. booze. Uh, oh good however he was able to hold a steady job as a forklift driver and was universally described as intelligent well-spoken and very well-mannered and actually was married with a child didn't you just say he was living in camps on the street Mm -hmm. with homeless people yeah did they live there too with them yes oh so well i think he was in and out i think he had like where he'd disappear for a while that was the other thing like so this whole thing circles around his wife and child, basically, with what he describes as his motive for murder. But um, I couldn't find the name of his wife or his child. And sometimes it was referred to as his girlfriend. So, Okay. So maybe um, like more of a baby mama situation where yeah. she had a child with him. Right. But they were okay. living together. Because in July of 1994, he claims that his wife or girlfriend left him with his, left him and his left him and took his son while he was at work <laughs> that was rough huh <laughs> i put i typed left him with his son and i'm like does that that's not what i meant <laughs> i feel like that doesn't make sense left yeah. him and took his son while he was at work so his first mor- murder moiter <laughs> his first moiter uh his first murder was that is considered like a known he killed her uh, mm-hmm. murder was that of Kathy Ann Magaziner Magaziner is M-A-G-A-Z-I-N-E-R I don't know how else I would pronounce that Magaziner uh, fine. in 1994 she was 39 years old and had been convicted for um, sex work he buried her in a shallow grave on the site of the factory factory where he worked and it remained there for more than two years um, he later said that he had strangled and raped her and then he dug up her skeleton six months later put her head in a box and threw it in the trash there was also reports that he may have had sex with the head six months later yes how much soft tissue is left on that head listen i don't know and there were just reports of it it wasn't confirmed i don't know I, okay all right uh, i don't want to know honestly <laughs> i don't i don't want to know <laughs> uh he then continued his search for his wife. Uh, I'm just going to keep calling him his wife because that was the most common. And I don't want to keep saying wife slash girlfriend. I'm too fucking lazy. So uh, My wife! <laughs> well, in everything that he talks about, he called her his old lady. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right for his uh, human being style. So he continued to search for his wife and son and then he heard rumors about six months later that she had moved to the other side of town with another man and was heavily involved in drugs and possible prostitution and that his son was in foster care due to to a drug bust and based because of his record and his living circumstances there's no way he could get his son back from social workers right um he heard from other people that they like other people in the homeless encampment that he was living in like you're not much better asshole um that they were often did drugs under a bridge and he decided to hunt them down so there under the bridge he found two homeless men randall brewer and randy piker whom he believed did drugs with his wife and when they gave no indication or wouldn't give him any information 
on where she was in a rage he killed it was described as he mauled them with a woodcutter's axe so i feel like it was very brutal uh once he like came out of his rage and realized what he had done he panicked and tossed the bodies into the river to hide any evidence so those two bodies were actually found in our we knew he killed them however he claims that after killing them he noticed a fisherman nearby who could have seen what he had done and he claimed to have killed him as well and dumped him in the river he then that claimed that that night he also murdered two more sex workers trying to get information on his wife. He claims Jeez. he lured them both down under the bridge at separate times with drugs, and when they claim that to have no information, he anally raped them and beat them to death. That doesn't seem necessary. But these bodies were never found, and the claims were never substantiated. So this was, like, after he was caught. He claims that that night, the night he killed those two guys, he actually killed a total of five people. Well, and he claims so much, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Um, so he was actually arrested for the murders of the homeless men and spent a year and a half in county jail awaiting a trial. But he was acquitted of the murders in the Baltimore Circuit Court where um, jurors basically told the judge during deliberations that they thought the homeless man, other, another homeless man was responsible for the killings and that they didn't think he did it. Okay. Because they found the bodies and they found, which is weird, they found the bodies and they found the axe in the homeless encampment in which he was living. But those were the only two things they found. They had no way of tying him to the scene or that he did it or right so um now free he said that he resumed his what he called a quest for finding his missing wife and son a quest Mm -hmm. he murdered he claimed that he murdered two more prostitutes during this time but they weren't able to find the bodies they didn't know who they were or anything like that okay so this is kind of where it gets weird. He basically said that at this point he developed a new way of getting rid of the bodies and that it was almost like what the prosecutors and the police were saying is that he was murdering people out of boredom as much as for revenge. So it's kind of like he's any now he's got of, a taste for it and he can't stop. Okay. Right. Any sort of reason that he can make up in his own mind to do something, he'll do it just because he likes it now. Right. Um, he also claimed to have murdered three other prostitutes along the Washington Boulevard in Baltimore although there was no evidence of those crimes as well uh and he said that instead of tossing them in the river uh because of his bad experience and almost going to jail he brought the bodies home where he dismembered them and then stored the meatiest parts of them in his freezer burying the unusable parts in a truck lot owned by the pallet company he worked for then he would mix the sex worker's flesh with a mixture of beef and pork, forming it into patties. And then over the next several weekends, he would sell them out of a small barbecue stand open for the occasion on the side of the road. He did have a barbecue stand. Oh, well. So it's not, it's not proven that he did this, mm-hmm. but he did have a barbecue stand. And he is a proven killer. So he is a proven killer. Like vicious. Killer. Right. 
Um, he said that for weeks, unwitting passerbys, truckers and townies would consume bits of human flesh. Upon his arrest, he told the police that no one had complained about the meat. In fact, no one seemed to notice that his burgers had a little something extra in them. A direct quote from him is, the human body tastes very similar to pork. If you mix it together, no one can tell the difference. I mean, that's what I hear from everybody, you know? Right. It's pretty much the same as pork, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Just, Um, Whenever he needed more meat, he would simply venture out, find another homeless person or sex worker, and a According to his actual confession, he be- he claims to have killed up to 10 people. Authorities actually believe it could have been more. Uh, they just don't have any proof for it. And they don't think he would have stopped had he not been arrested. Right. So the next confirmed person he killed is Kimberly Lynn Spicer in mid-November of 1996. Uh, he stabbed her with a knife after another brutal assault uh he and then he um about a month later he kidnapped rita kemper on december 8th in 1996 where he attempted to rape her um so according to the investigation he shared drugs with kemper in the trailer where he was living at on the pallet factory site she refused to have sex with him and ran out of the trailer he chased her beat her dragged her back into the trailer attempted to rape her uh and then said i'm going to kill you and bury you in the woods with the other girls but she escaped through a window of the trailer and fled to the police officers in the area so this is where i'm like this so knowing that spicer or rita i'm sorry rita kemper escaped um methany had to dispose of spicer because he actually had just been storing her body at the factory site since killing her a month earlier. So he didn't use her as me. So that's where I'm like, yeah, he only do it for a certain amount of time and then stop doing it and do it another way. Like it just doesn't seem, it seemed weird to me that for whatever reason he stored her body for a month, but the other ones he chopped up and ground up into hamburger flesh. So that's why I don't know. It just seems like what's like, so what, I said, I wouldn't put it past him, but also he's a big fat liar. You're a big fat liar. A big fat liar. You're a big fat phony. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, the friend reported it to the police on December 15th. He was like, I'm not fucking heckling you hide a body, you weirdo. Get out of here. And Methany was immediately arrested and charged with her murder the same day that was i said that d (laughs) (laughs) uh the owner of the business was also arrested um and was charged with an accessory after the fact for allegedly disposing of evidence but i think that was dropped because they didn't necessarily know anything about it okay so he immediately began confessing to other murders as well so he um and confessed to kimberly spicer um, he led police to the shallow grave where he had reburied um, Carol Ann Magaziner's decapitated remains. Much of the skull was missing, but the police were able to identify her. Um, police said that he had chosen young white prostitutes who were addicted to heroin and cocaine. The killings also involved brutal, brutal sexual assaults. He was indicted for killing Tony Lynn 
in Gracia, age 28, but those charges were later dropped for lack of evidence, but they believe he killed her as well. Okay. Um, so they actually expected him to put up a fight when they went to arrest him, but instead he um, like went calmly and was super polite. Um, and he just, his detailed upfront confession started with, I'm just a very sick person. See, and that's the fucking scariest thing is it's like, you're like, this is a nice guy. Cause from all accounts from people that weren't on the wrong side of him, they said that yeah. he seemed like an upstanding, nice kid. He was like, super like a nice. nice guy. They, everybody that was interviewed that he worked for said he was super nice, super polite. And he, that's, it's just another thing that makes me absolutely terrible. <sighs> Uh, so during his interrogation, he willingly offered up confessions and details about each of his murders, even mentioning the murder of the fisherman, which he had gotten away with. Uh, he also appeared to show no remorse for what he'd done. Uh, he said, the only thing I feel bad about in any of this is I didn't get to murder the two motherfuckers I was really after. And that's my ex old lady and the bastard she got hooked up with. Oh, well, fuck, you know? So um, he described to the police how he was driven by an insatiable need for revenge that he viciously raped and murdered and dismembered drug addicted sex workers and homeless people while on a quest to find his runaway wife. Uh, he was tried in 1997 in the Kemper case, which was the one, the kidnapping that she got away mm-hmm. and given a sentence of 50 years for kidnapping and attempted sexual assault. He was acquitted of attempting to murder her. Uh, he was sentenced to death in 1998 for the Spicer murder uh at his sentencing hearing he said that he committed murders because he enjoyed it and he got a rush out of it got a high out of it and had no real excuse why other other than he liked to do it Um, Ah. in 98 he pled guilty to murdering and robbing robbing magaziner and prosecutors sought the death penalty in that case as well Um, He received a sentence of life in prison in that case. Um, And then his other death sentence was overturned in 2000 and it was reduced to life without parole. Um, He, but he was found dead in his prison cell at Western Correctional Institution in Cumberland, Maryland on August 5th of 2017 at the age of 62. Um, And they never really released his cause of death. And there was an investigation into it, but that also was never released. So don't know if it was natural or if somebody killed him. A killing or a conspiracy against him or a... Let's go into conspiracy theories. Let's make I mean, he's a bit... He's a big old hefty American. Who would... Well, that... Is there a like, bigger man than him in prison? Because that's terrifying. That and like... Would anybody in prison have anything against him, really? I mean, he's not at, like a prime target for prison brutality. With well, I know sometimes his, like victimo- well, victimology and stuff. Sexual sh- assault people sometimes do actually get like. It's not like the prime one. Like obviously, the prime one is like child, child murderers and stuff and but, old lady murders. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna, interesting. I'm gonna end my story though. Okay. How he ended his confession. Oh, all right. Well, that's my story, horrible but true. So the next time you're riding down the road and you happen to see an open pit beef stand that you've never seen before, 
make sure you think about the story before you take a bite of that sandwich. Sometimes you never know who you may be eating. Ha ha. So even at like the end of his stuff and telling all this shit, he's just trying to scare people. Like that's what it seems like is he's just trying to make people scared to do anything because he likes to have that power. I'm sure that's what it is, but when you, like, I'm just keep the picture of him in your head and then think of those words. It's fucking terrifying. This, this is the picture that I always imagine when I think of him. Yes, yes. It's, he's standing, like, fucking wide-legged, standing up with his wide self. Just, he's just, he's like a gorilla of a human. He's, he's just so big. Make sure you post that picture in oh, I will. our episode. Just so everybody's aware, that's the picture that's up, is what I imagine whenever I think of him. He's terrifying. I don't like it. I was like, how have I never heard of this dude before? (laughs) That was good. Good job. Thank you. It's a good one. Oh, you're a good one. Stop it. Stop Stop it. Quit it. Fucking no. Okay. All right. All right, motherfucker. Are we ready to go? Mm-hmm. Let me swallow my cashew. Yes, I am ready to go. All right. Tell me a story. All right. I'm going to tell you about Miriam Rice's case. Why does that sound familiar? Well, it was just wrapped up last year. Okay. 2019 but it's it was like a cold case so it may have been okay. in the news or you read a little something about the final stuff or whatever but okay so Miriam Pacau was born in March of 1960 in Mackinac yeah Mackinac City Michigan Mackinac Mackinac She had seven older siblings at the time of her birth, and by the time her parents were done having kids, she had seven brothers and five sisters. So, there were a lot of kids. I have enough problems dealing with my two brothers and older sister. Can't imagine having seven. (laughs) Maybe at one point you're just like, you know what? Nobody talks, that's it. Nobody talk. Nobody talks to each other. Stop talking. (laughs) Guys, just stop it. I hate you all. Stop it. So she went to college in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and met Jeff Rice, who was a resident assistant at college. I'm assuming that's like resident advisor, where he kind of did like... RA? Yeah. Managed the campus life or whatever. Yeah, probably. Um, anywho, they dated, and then in 1981, they got married when Miriam was 21. Okay. Miriam went on and became an elementary school teacher in 1986. They had a son named James, and right around this time, Jeff was offered a job at Notre Dame, and the family moved to South Bend, Indiana. Okay. So... When they got there, Miriam taught aerobics and sold Mary Kay cosmetics. Um, you should start teaching things, aerobics. Right? It was just, I don't want to get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure Chris doesn't murder you, but you should start teaching aerobics. 
But I don't think Chris will murder me. I think we're I think we're safe on that end. He better not. Agreed? I don't you know better I not. Hey, you better not. <laughs> she was also very active at, in volunteering with the Special Olympics branch okay. down there. Um, in early 1988, she was pregnant again. And for exercise with this pregnancy, she walked quite like a lot since she was active anyway, doing aerobics and stuff. Like it was weird that she couldn't do the high, high velocity stuff. So she was walking regularly. And one evening on June 24th, 1988, Miriam, who was four months pregnant at the time, took the dog out for a walk. Normal daytime stuff. Uh, after about an hour without her coming back, Jeff became concerned and called 911 and reported her missing. Oh, no. um, then after she, he had talked to the authorities, he called her family in Michigan and his family in Ohio and gave them a heads up on what's happening. Um, because if there is anything wrong, since they're out of state, they, he wanted them to know that, hey, this is going on. So the next morning their dog was found that she took out walking and it, he was hiding underneath a car about five blocks away. Oh, but Miriam was right. He was like scared. And they said that he was like scared and hiding underneath the car. Like he was trying to stay away from something. Like oh. He didn't want to come out. Um, but there was no Miriam in sight. So the following days after this, the family from Miriam's side, flew in to help with search and for support with Jeff, you know, cause he mm -hmm. was kind of breaking down. Um, five days later on June 29th, Miriam's sister's fiance while they were searching discovered her body. <gasps> it was on the bank of a body of water about three miles away from the home. Oh, no. I don't know. It was clear that she had died from blunt force trauma to the head and they were guessing from the shape of some of the wounds that it was most likely a baseball bat that she was beat with. Um, they knew that she had been killed in a different area and dragged to the bank because of the lack of blood around her there. Mm -hmm. um, the theory was that whoever had killed her came up behind her when she was walking and forced her into a vehicle and the assault happened. There was no signs of sexual assault. Um, the first suspect as always, was her husband, because right. he was the last one to see her. Husband's always the first one they go to. Uh, he took a polygraph test, and he denied knowing anything or having anything to do with the murder of his wife, and it was determined that he was telling the truth. Well, that's but, good. But, I mean, it didn't necessarily clear him because of the, like... Polygraphs how, aren't always accurate. Exactly. How hit or miss they are, so... It, they kept him on a list, but it definitely made him less likely of a suspect at that point. Miriam's sister said that Miriam had told her Jeff and her were not getting along. Um, and other families said that there were suspicions that made them wonder if Jeff was telling the whole truth. Um, they thought that he and Miriam's friend, who would babysit for them once in a while, were having an affair. Oh, shit. Uh, and in fact, two years and one month after Miriam's murder, these two got married. Oh, shit. So they 
were very suspicious of this. Um, well, yeah. Miriam's bitch. <laughs> Miriam's family was family also noticed some other questionable things, like Jeff had gotten the carpets cleaned only a week after Miriam went missing. <gasps> um, Jeff stood by the fact that he was innocent and he had nothing to do with anything when it comes to the missing, like the murder of his wife. And there was absolutely no physical link to him at the crime scene or on the on Miriam. <laughs> so there was no link to him whatsoever. So he was never charged. Jeff and his new family ended up moving to Columbus, Ohio, where he grew up. Um, and the two had their own family after that. They had two kids. Time passed, and it seemed like Miriam's murder was never going to be solved. It went cold. Uh, so in March of 2016 now, so we are like fast forwarding, what, 28 years since yeah. her murder? Um, there was a call to the police in, police in South Bend. Police. There was a call to the police. There was a call to the police. Uh, in South Bend from a man named George Kearney. Or, well, it could be Kearney, but I think it's Kearney, so I'm just going to go with that. He was serving 40 years for molestation at the time of the call. Okay. Yeah. His sentence began in 1988. Um, he said that he had a woman that was writing him named Paula Brooks, who was the daughter of his ex-girlfriend, Barbara Brewster. So his ex-girlfriend's daughter kept writing him. Basically, Paula kept accusing him of the murder of Miriam. And he said that he called the police to clear the air about Miriam's murder. Just out of the blue. Out of the blue. Because Paula wouldn't drop it and kept sending him letters talking about how he was a murderer and he was guilty and he did this and he did that. And so she, like, basically egged him on to, like, I, just, I, I gotta clear the air. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, he said that Barbara Brewster, his ex-girlfriend, killed Miriam and that he witnessed it. But he had he had nothing to do with it. He physically didn't do anything during the murder. Mm -hmm. uh, after this investigation was started, they started asking around to the families and the acquaintances of Kearney and Barbara Brewster and all those people that he named and that, you know, basically anybody that would be involved. Right. So they started asking around and one of these people that they ended up talking to was Helen Parton. So, so Helen, many names getting thrown at me right now. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I told, I'm telling you, this is such a random thing. So, like, Helen Parton is Brewster, the girlfriend's sister, who ended up taking in her kids. Okay. okay. So, Paula, that wrote the letters, was basically raised by this Parton girl. Okay. Um, He's, she said that Barbara had dropped Paula off at the age of seven, and Paula had told her aunt a crazy story about her mother and Kearney. She said that they took her and her brother camping. I'm gonna, I gotta, I gotta pay attention to what I'm writing. I'm gonna get ahead of myself. So she said that her mom and her mom's boyfriend took her brothers and her camping, right? So she had a brother who was only at like a year younger than her and then a baby brother. 
And so they said they took them camping. And at one point, her brother, who was six years old, went with her mom and her mom's boyfriend, so Brewster and Kearney, to go get food. Okay. okay. And they left the seven-year-old in charge of the, like, baby. Yeah. Agreed, okay. but also... Hmm. Eh. So they left her in charge of the baby brother. And after they had left, Paula said that she heard a woman screaming and then that she had heard a woman screaming and pleading for her life. And she actually heard the quote, oh God, oh God, please help me. I just want to have this baby. <gasps> and then everything went quiet. And she said it went like eerily quiet. And I'm like sure it was in her house? Panicking. No, it's when they went camping. Oh. So because so Miriam went jogging slash walking with the dog they were camping on this in this like park area that happened to be a few miles away or a mile or so away and then she heard this screaming when her mom her mom's boyfriend and her brother left the campsite (gasps) like a little bit after that so Paula then said that a few minutes after she heard this screaming and everything went quiet, her mother, Kearney, and her six-year-old brother returned splattered in what looked like blood. (gasps) They burned all their clothes that night and made Paula clean blood out of the van that they were driving in. And after that, they left the park. So after they had, like, burned all their clothes, cleaned out stuff at that park, they left. Ew. Yeah. So this is from a seven-year-old girl telling her aunt this. Okay. The aunt who was told this entire like big story didn't know what to make of it. She was like, was this something that maybe was like a dream? Cause she's seven, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have those nightmares that are like too real. Yeah. Too real. Then after she was told this story, only a few hours later, she heard about the disappearance of Miriam Rice <sighs> and that she was pregnant and that quote was one of the things that Paula said to her mm-hmm. so she was like this is this has got to be it so Parton the aunt called Crime Stoppers and told them about Paula's story but she never heard anything back from the police department or Crime Stoppers and then when she heard that Miriam's body had been found how many days later she again called and heard nothing. So she assumed that they maybe didn't take the story very seriously since it was coming from a seven-year-old girl. So she kind of just, it's not that she dropped it, but she also didn't think that it made a difference that she was calling because she called multiple times and didn't get any response. So she was kind of like, okay, well, maybe they have different like leads that are making more sense. So they're just not giving me a call back. Um, So at that time, she kind of just, let it go. Let it go. And Brewster actually ended up giving her kids to Parton at that point and disappeared. And they didn't see their mother. The two, Paula and Robert, the brother, didn't see their mother until, because they had a baby brother too. I don't know what happened to him. They didn't say anything. Um, but those two didn't see their mother for 14 years after she dropped them off with Parton and just disappeared. Wow. So, um, Parton tried talking to Robert after she got custody. I mean, it wasn't like a on paper Mm -hmm. custody, but after she got custody of him, 
she talked to Robert and tried to like get him to tell her the story of what happened when they were in the van because remember he was with them Mm -hmm. and she said it was clear that he was traumatized by it but he always refused to talk about it so I don't know if he was threatened and so he just never said anything I don't know if he was being abused by them so it was like Mm -hmm. don't say anything you don't want him to hurt anybody else you know so anyway After talking to Parton, the police, the investigators now, in 2016, uh, found Robert and Paula as adults, who they were in their 30s or so at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paula confirmed the story and told them basically more details in the story that she knows, retold them everything in her words, right? Um, Then the police were able to get in contact with Robert, who at first was really hesitant to tell the story. But then he started opening up and it was like a floodgate. So he said that he was in the van with his mother and their and her boyfriend. Um, they saw Miriam Rice on the side of the road jogging with her dog. That Robert, Robert said then that Kearney pulled over, got out of the van, grabbed Miriam by her hair, like yanked her by her hair, and was trying to bring her to the van. Well... Miriam tried to fight back, and that's when Kearney slammed her head into the car, into the side of the car, and basically subdued her and was able to pull her into the back of the van. Uh, (sighs) I just, uh. so after she was in the van, Kearney told Brewster, the mother of Robert, that she had to kill Miriam, that she had to kill this woman. I don't know why. I'm sure this six-year-old brain, he's he's just seeing the broad strokes of things, mm-hmm. you know, but like that she had to kill this woman. And then Robert watched his mom beat this woman in the head with various tools in the back of the van. <gasps> yeah. Why? I think it just got this Kearney guy off to be able to control this woman, whether it be that or I really hope you're wearing like underpants or something because that could have been... That, could, that was close. That was close, my lady. It was right up, down, right up main drag, you know? Right up main street. Um, so, Robert witnessed. I couldn't help. You, like, went to lift your leg up. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> I can't look away, but oh, boy. Pooty doo's about to make a showing. <laughs> uh, but we made it through. I didn't, I didn't see anything, so... Uh, (laughs) so Robert as a six-year-old boy witnesses this whole thing Mm. Uh, and now finally he's able to like get it off his chest like he had not told a soul about this Uh, so July of 2018 two years after the call from Kearney from in prison he had now been let out at this point (gasps) Like, well, it was a 40-year sentence in 88, so okay. even a little bit shaved off would have been... Still, I just the yeah. thought of him wandering the streets. Oh, yeah, it's gross. Um, so both Kearney and Brewster were arrested. Um, the, the arrests were publicized, and they said that the two were on probation at the time of the murder, and that those two had been questioned during the murder but because 
they had no connection whatsoever to her. They weren't taken as serious people of interest. Oh. Um, but because they were in the area, they were on probation, and because of, like, what they were on probation for, because she was on probation for drug use, I believe, and he was on probation for sex offenses. So just for the area and stuff, they had gotten questioned about it, but nobody took it seriously because they didn't have a connection to Miriam, and it took a long time before people realized that people can just randomly kill people. Like, right. there doesn't have to be a connection, really. Um, anyway, so the police said that they knew that Helen Parton's call, like, they knew and had heard Helen Parton's call to Crime Stoppers, both of them, but they said that they didn't look too deep into it because they had received so many different calls that seemed more likely that they kind of went in that direction because this was kind of an in left field thing you know yeah. um so that's the reason why she hadn't heard back because they kind of heard it and were like well like we haven't heard anything else that has anything to do with that so this one random call mm -hmm. of a kid saying they thought they saw something uh right um so anyway both pleaded not guilty, um, but in March of 2019, Kearney changed his plea to guilty, um, possibly facing about 60 years in prison for this. Um, Kearney did have lung cancer at this time and actually ended up dying in prison on March 24th of 2019, Good. only weeks after changing his plea to guilty. So... At least he fessed up before he died, too, saying that, right. yeah, he was part of it, um, in my mind, I guess. So Brewster's story was always that she was with when Kearney picked up Miriam, but it's like he dropped her off, or she, she and Robert went back to the campsite, and Kearney disappeared, and then when he came back, he wasn't with Kearney with rice anymore with uh miriam anymore but it doesn't make sense because they both yeah well and paula's like everybody came back at the same time so and both... robert was like i saw my mom beat her head in with different mm -hmm. objects in the, back of the van right so then there wasn't i wish there was more stuff about her actual like trial but all of the update things about her trial because my main source article went to and Brewster is due for a trial date in April of 2019. I'm like, well, it's past April of 2020, so that actually happened, so let's find what happened to her. Mm -hmm. um, so then I went into it, and there's like, it's all just recaps of what happened and everything. There wasn't a lot of detail on her trial other than, so she went to trial June of 19, 2019, just not 19. Um, 2019 and she pled not guilty uh, obviously she was found guilty and Paula and Robert had testified against their mother in court they both came up and were like nope this is what happened nope they, you this know. bitch uh-huh exactly and so she was found guilty and she was sentenced to because it was like <laughs> it was funny because I had to find the article about being found guilty 
And then I had to go find something about her sentencing because then at the end of that article, it said sentencing date, September, 2019. So then I had to go find that article <laughs> about like the sentencing and stuff. But, and then it basically just reiterated the whole story that I just said again and said she was sentenced to 60 years in prison. And as far as I know, she's still alive because she was still only like 56 or 58 at the time that in 2019 when she was sentenced. So it's just so senseless. There was no, no, and they were just... well, and then it made me want to like dig into Kearney even more and see what his actual charges were and why he was in prison for the 40 years. Like, was it against her kids? Was it against like Robert and Paula? Yeah. Um, you know, like who, where did that happen? And that sort of thing. But you only have so much time in a week, you know, so I couldn't go on my, my, uh, side ventures to figure Your out. side quests? Yes, this Kearney guy, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I just try to figure it out here by myself sometime when I have a chance. Yeah, now. Yeah, now. Because I'm curious. Because <laughs> I'm a curious little kitty. Meow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I'm a curious little kitty. But yeah, that was so a good that's story. The story, I, it, super you know sad. I've never heard of it, so I don't know why her name sounded familiar. But yeah, that's I. I thought her name sounded familiar too, and I was like, okay. So I started like reading into the article and like, huh? Guess not, because I don't know this story. I don't know who the fuck you are. But yeah, it was interesting. I got nothing for you. Yeah, you know. That's okay. All the I creeps feel- are going back to work and they don't have time to send me dirty messages anymore. <laughs> dirty little birdie. Dirty. Dirty little birdie. You dirty birdie. Reminds me of something that like Albert Fish would say. The one that wrote the Rosebud letter. Um, I get that from Brandon Ferris on on uh, Facebook. Oh yeah. I know Brandon <laughs> Ferris. I fucking love it. Dirty birdie. And he says, dirty little duder. <laughs> I love when, when he does the Google Translate recipes. Yeah. That's my favorite one. Those are my favorite videos of his when he's like, how am I supposed to, uh, I guess I'll return this and get it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I like, be back. <laughs> I like those. And I, I do like his opening ones. And then I also like his uh, his life hack ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when he tries the life hacks and, and he goes, they go, <laughs> did, oh. <laughs> did you see the one where he put a rubber band did the watermelon challenge i don't know if i've watched the whole thing but i saw the um thumbnail of it you need to watch that because i think i've watched that maybe 30 times because when it explodes it's amazing like it explodes and knocks him backwards off the chair like it hits him and knocks him backward off the chair and he goes <laughs> oh Oh no. <laughs> it's I, so funny. I, uh, the, my favorite one, I can't remember what life hack he was doing, but he was doing one of the life hacks and whatever it was, there was water in it and it went everywhere. <laughs> and then he was just like, electronics and water, that like, they don't mix thing is just a, we're just describing, it's a myth, right? We're just descri- <laughs> describing YouTube videos to our listeners. I know. Um, Brandon Fair is on Facebook. Check him out. He's pretty funny and YouTube. He's he's a good and I enjoy him. He's yeah. a nice what where is he from? Uh he's from Arkansas. 
Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to watch his videos too, because. You need to watch his. Watch the watermelon one. It is so fucking funny. Okay. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. visual platform things again i wish people could see your little turtle mouth (laughs) my walmart smiley face there it is look at you especially when i've I've put on the double chin (laughs) my double chin (laughs) hey what ham did you just slap not the ham ham that i just just bought bought. (laughs) okay we're really random right now. <laughs> Follow us. Like us on the things. Um, Facebook. Instagram. Instagram. That's Not Twitter, because Amanda still hasn't logged into that. No. No, I haven't. You she know why? Because I fucking hate hates it. hates Twitter. I don't know how to work it. I don't know what to do. So many it's, stupid people on there. Not so you dumb. guys, but everybody else. It's just dumb. We don't I mean, you like might be Twitter. stupid. I don't know who's listening to this, but I don't think, I don't think you are. Maybe maybe you are. Christina's kind of dumb sometimes. I'm kind of dumb sometimes. Hey, don't look at me like that. You know it's true. Fucking rude. Uh, hey, act surprised. <gasps> <laughs> How dare you? Have never. I never. I don't know why I went southern when I said that. I have never. Uh, also, Send us an email or something. I, you know, do something. You know, I, you think we do something with now. yourselves? Do, oh, is that like our new spread yourselves thing? Just spread do the something word with yourself. <laughs> spread yourselves, like mayo. Oh, <laughs> that's a terrible choice of condiment. I know. <laughs> Gross. I said it, and immediately you saw in my face the. Why did I say that? <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> that I was a, ter- a mistake. That was a terrible choice of condiment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kid. Okay, bye, Felicia. Adios, amigos. Sophie says hello. Hello, Sophie. Can you hear her? Yes. <laughs> so fucking loud. <laughs>